The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, August 24th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. And in association with lastwordonprowrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some AEW, New Japan, ROH, and of course, some WWE. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that all to the beat of the beat. Rick Vickery. Ready to go again here at the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. But Jargo, you know, it was, it was a couple of days ago in a private conversation we were having. And I absolutely was blasting uh, the local Frishes there in Southern Ohio, Frishes Big Boy. And I, I don't know, I don't know where or how. I don't know if you're the stooge, if you're the one that went to them. But somehow, somehow, word got back to them because after our conversation, I even I wanted to give them another chance. So I went there Thursday. It was the last thing that I had eaten. And man, I. I don't know. I don't know what what they have against me. You know who got this to them or whatever. But inside of me, that that big boy, it's like it's like action smash because I got some demolition going on. Oh, that's absolutely tremendous. Yeah, Rick has been uh, feeling ill the last couple of days. I have been running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to get these kids ready to go back to school on Monday. Party time is here. That's right. The kids are going back to school. Plenty of time for me to try. Anyway, to get some sleep. But Rick, we had this full run put together. I put it together a couple of days ago, and then the internet went absolutely insane for about 32 minutes yesterday afternoon with the announcement that John Moxley has been diagnosed with a severe case once again of MRSA in that elbow. He's going to be undergoing surgery immediately. He does expect to be fully cleared and ready to go by the time we launch on TNT. In the meantime, we are out one of our, I guess, trio of main events going into All Out. This is absolute worst case scenario for AEW a week out of their biggest launch here. Well, you know, we're a week away from All Out and all the excitement that's been built around this thing. And obviously, as you said there, Jarko, one of those major marquees has been Mox versus uh, versus Kenny, and that, that was a huge selling point. But when we look up and down this card, the way you put things together right there, so you're not so reliant on one particular match. And now, obviously, that thing is out the window, but they have they have stepped in. They have found a tremendous replacement. Now, sure, we're not going to have the backstory there, but I'm almost wondering, you know, if, if we've seen the, the events already, you know, the, the handful of events that have been spread out through this year and build towards all-out and television. Those all seem like preseason to me. This all 
all out, this seems like the kickoff of everything that's going to be real, especially heading into television. I wouldn't say this is a blessing in disguise, but is this truly the worst case scenario? I mean, you're going to have Mox ready for television. You're, you're going to have now that anticipation of what's going to happen with him going into that. This thing is kind of taking a weird twist on its own. In a weird way, this kind of brings us back to square one because we had heard originally that going into Double or Nothing, of course, the plan was supposed to be Pac versus Hangman Page, and that was going to be for a number one contendership. Um, and then the story coming out of Pac and Hangman Page was supposed to lead to Pac and Kenny Omega. So in a weird way, we've come full circle to get right back to where we started. Well, I was saying how this thing has kind of taken on a, a movement of its direction of its own. As you said, this if you tie everything together and, and don't forget, you know, what when Pac, you know, took his brief exit there, all the reasoning there, he he initially was set for a number one contenders match. You gotta believe, you know, we're gonna crown a champion at all out. There's someone emerging from this show as the first ever AEW world heavyweight champion. You gotta think whoever wins this match that now we've got announced between Pac and Omega, that's gonna be your first challenger, correct? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, they have announced that the AEW championship is going to be defended one of these first couple of shows. I forget if it's the third show, I want to say, uh, that the championship's going to be on the line. You have to think whoever wins this match is going to be the challenger going into that matchup. And if, and if everything goes as planned, you know, medically, if he progresses as he should, you're going to have that wild card of Moxley right back in there because you know, this should have been his position. It should have been him looking for that opportunity to grab that goal. And this saves a big match for once the television starts. You can go right back into this Moxley versus Omega feud. Absolutely. Well, you know, this kind of brings up, you know, that next question that I have for you, Jargo. You know, what is, what is the right route? Well, I mean, we have continually put over that Jericho is the right call to be crowned that first champion. Just, you know, just for the notoriety the familiarity that the audience is going to have with him and just his, his, his stance, you know, his presence within professional wrestling on the flip of that, you go back to Omega because then you can tie in Moxley to all that because going, I mean, obviously the match was set for Moxley and Omega, but Jericho was heavily involved there. He felt the attack and, and felt the viciousness of Moxley himself in that situation. Well, on the other hand, it, the very first match that all elite wrestling ever started building to at that very first press conference was hangman page versus Pac. Does hangman page walk out the first AEW champion? And we finally get that payoff on TNT. Well, I was thinking, you know, as I mentioned, maybe that little three-way dynamic for the heavyweight championship, would that be a good second-tier kind of individuals program to go back to Pac and Hangman and then position them for, you know, and then and then really build them, build these two superstars through your actual programming to get them ready to be set for that, that first big challenge as you turn the calendar heading into 2020. And then, of course, there's also the NXT part of the equation, and we'll talk about if the NXT part of the equation changes the booking of the main event here in a little bit. Uh, the other thing that we would have to report on as we're talking about Moxley here is Ray Phoenix. Ray Phoenix evidently last night took a nasty spill, and there was a lot of people that had speculated that Phoenix had broke his leg last night. Now, what a freaking disaster that would be going into All Out. Phoenix is hoping that he will be cleared 
for the ladder match against the Young Bucks. Rick, if we lose Moxley versus Kenny and then we lose Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros, I mean, yeah, we can go ahead, we can slide LAX into that spot, but that ruins the announcement for the first TNT show where it's supposed to be Jericho and Mystery Partners versus the Elite, and everybody's suspecting that's going to be LAX. I don't know what to make of this other than we have to get these guys off of these damn indie shows as soon as possible. I, I'm wondering how many calls were made out to, to you know, to pull certain talents from shows this evening. Yeah. I you, mean, know, you got these two, these, these bombs dropping on you here within, you know, a little over just a week to go. And now obviously they're not going to work any shows going through this week. But, hey, I'm sure that there was plenty of them that had, you know, indie shows and indie appearances slated for this evening. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all that the Lucha Bros were advertised for an independent show this evening somewhere. That would not surprise me at all. Hey, with their work rate, I'm surprised they weren't advertised for like six shows just today. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. These guys got to take it easy leading into All Out. And then what's going to happen once TV starts? Are, are you suspecting, like I'm suspecting, that once television starts... All these guys are locked down and we're not doing any more independent dates other than what was already booked in advance leading up to them signing with All Elite Wrestling. Well, and this is, you know, this is a big question for them. And if it does, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to hopefully learn some of the details of these contracts. You know, when we heard exclusive, you know, that, that also comes with, um, different defined points to it, exclusive to television, exclusive in certain areas. I mean, they could they sh they could still be planning on going out and working the weekends because you know AEW doesn't have the live event circuit that you see with you know with WWE. And when we look at the other promotions that just run that television, and sure, it's it's certainly so much different when you're running true weekly television like AEW is as compared to like Impact Wrestling. But even with, you know, Impact Wrestling not running those live, those house shows, their talents are all over the place. You can find any of their top talents, you know, anywhere, any weekend. And we've seen the injuries and how it's affected them. And just recently, you know, what it meant, they just put the title on Brian Cage and then he goes down with a, with a big injury. I don't know, man. I feel like there is way too much writing on this TNT deal. I think I would lock these guys down. I mean, lock them down. Uh, especially your, your upper echelon right now. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and pay the extra, very limited dates. You still might have some working agreements with, you know, some other, you know, big shows in AAA or MLW for some of their talents. You know, work smarter, not, not harder. You yeah. know, don't put yourself in continual danger. And it goes back to, you hear individuals, I know he's not the most popular of individuals right now, but he's such a, a great, you know, a great well of knowledge. And it's Jim Cornette. And you'd regularly, anyone that listens to his shows, he regularly talks about how you save those spots for the big arenas. You, you don't, you're not working the small towns like, you know, you're going out there and just killing yourself. You're going out there, getting your stuff in, character work, getting the audience route up. And that's what they, that's what they really should be focusing on at these, at these smaller indie shows. Don't have to put on a five-star classic for 200 people, you know? Let's uh let's go ahead. We'll jump into the regular format for the show here, and I guess we'll kind of just adjust as needed. Uh, be before these two big injuries, the lead story of the week 
Absolutely. Still, AEW versus NXT. Rick, we're learning a little bit about this NXT deal with USA Network. $54 million from NBC Universal for a year's worth of NXT, which brings up a lot of questions for me. Um, number one being, is everybody going to be expecting a raise now that this is going to USA Network and we're bringing in, you know, tens of millions of dollars? Because NXT contracts versus WWE contracts are incredibly different. Well, and that's always, you know, the the big response to when an individual is like, well, I'd just rather stay in NXT. Well, if you're that talent, sure as hell you wouldn't. You want to you move up to that red and blue because it means better guaranteed money. It means more, you know, security for your family and a, a better lifestyle. It's not about, you know, the booking and, and how the show's run and all that. It, this is, when it all comes down to it, this is a business. It's about financials. And that's where you get at that red and blue. But now that you're seeing NXT, it's got, it's going to have so much more of a significant standing point within this company. Are the talents going to see that reflected in their direction? That's a huge question. And I'm sure with inside the company, it's one that they are, they don't want to, uh, you know, maybe make public or how they're going to deal with this at this point. Yeah, because just hearing about this, this reminds me very, very much of the the CM Punk interview with Colt Cabana, which is infamous now in podcast lore, where he was talking about the pay-per-view bonuses when they brought up the network. And he was like, so how is this going to work as far as the pay-per-view bonus goes? Because it's no longer about drawing money. The $9.99 is going to be built in. It's going to be the revenue that we know it is. And they wouldn't give him a straight answer. This kind of reminds me of that, where it's like this whole thing just seems very, very fly by night. Like they can say that this has been in the works for the better part of a year, and I just don't buy it. Well, even it, it, you know, throughout the year, there was always speculation that that NXT would be on the move. Now, obviously, it was very much under the under the radar to USA, but so many were expecting to FS1. And, it, you know, the, at that time, the big question was, what does this really mean to the, the WWE network itself? How is that going to affect its, you know, its membership and its pay, its pay structure and what's happening there? Now, this thing completely, you know, it throws everything, throws everything in the whack. This is a major curve that we're dealing with here. And now that we're seeing these financials come out, you know, just the town itself, there's a lot more into this. You know, what, you know, what is the upside on the advertising here? What, are, what more are they putting into their own production values? You know, where, you know, what kind of advertising are they pulling in again? You know, it's, there's so much that you need to, it's going to fall under this umbrella that could create a major boom within, you know, WWE. Yeah, the $54 million is basically their baseline guarantee. And then there's a ton of incentives depending on ratings and advertisers and everything else that goes into it. But of course, we'll find all that out when it comes to the quarterly conference call. But now... The, the cost of NXT has to go up when it's bringing in, at a bare minimum, $54 million a year. That was always the argument, that they weren't bringing in any money. Now they absolutely are. Now, now let me ask you, do you happen to know this? This is a figure that I have not seen. I think it's just something that's getting lost in all these numbers uh, you know, that are starting to be revealed to the public. What is the difference... And obviously, this is going to be an advantage for USA. What was the difference between SmackDown and NXT? What were they paying for the blue brand? What was, well, before. The, what, was, what was USA paying for the blue brand? What was the overall deal? Uh, 
I don't know because the overall deal was for both Raw and SmackDown. It was for five hours of content. It wasn't like we're paying you this much for Raw. We're paying you this much for SmackDown because it was all through NBC Universal. Correct. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, to me, there's got to be a difference because if you're WWE and you're selling this, and obviously USA uh, Universal is a whole pair, is a is a whole company. They don't want to lose that content. They want to hold on to their five hours. And mainly as Jargo, as you pointed out across, you know, here at the Hitting the Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast or in the Lockwood Tommy Media Group, it's about sustaining those numbers to keep themselves, you know, set at a certain level when it comes to cable television so that they're not dropping a tier and end up becoming specialty programming where they're going to lose households. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems to me that the deal was $265 million for, for the Raw and SmackDown pairing. Okay. Which, which is about okay, five so it, times what NXT is right now, which actually, you know, kind of makes sense when you're talking about two hours of programming versus five hours of programming, let alone the reputation of Monday Night Raw and now SmackDown. Well, I mean, now, I mean, but you're still holding on. If you're, if you're USA Network, you're still holding on to five hours of programming. Yeah, I, I would have to look and see. I'm curious if, what... They're paying for Raw and SmackDown. The number that it seems to me is 265. I would have to look and see what they're going to be paying for Raw and then add in NXT and see where it's at relative to that 265. Right. Well, and the reason I'm mentioning this here, I mean, obviously, that is a win for USA. They're saving on this back end, but they are taking the gamble, as we pointed out so many times, when NXT ran last year's on uh, WWE week, you saw a significant you know, drop off as compared to what you'd see with, with raw and SmackDown. It was about it half of raw. Success. It was about half of raw, 841,000 viewers. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't the smashing success that, that maybe they had hoped for, but you know, that, that was a one-time special. It's in a very hard time, a very hard part of the year to draw an audience because you're dealing with the holidays that people are on the go. They're not just really sitting around, you know, watching television like that. Uh, there's all those factors in here. I mean, that had to be something on the negotiating table as well, though. You know, we've seen this here. WWE is using that to their advantage. They're trying to pitch why they believe, you know, the, the brand has advanced. It's going to pull in these viewers that USA needs. You know, that itself is a, is a very interesting dynamic. I think one thing that is completely getting lost inside of this conversation is the production staff in general. I mean, when, when we look at NXT and we know that it's Hunter and we know that it's Road Dog, we also know that it's like Shawn Michaels. Uh, Joe is the lead writer down there. That's basically the production team going into this thing. I almost feel like AEW is in a better position. Jeremy Borash is down there as well. Steve Carino. William Regal, of course, is involved. But when I look at the names that AEW's been bringing into this thing, Rick, when it comes to live television, and you're talking about guys like Arn Anderson, and you're talking about guys like Dean Malenko, who have been doing live television forever, as much experience as they have down there at the Performance Center, this is going to be a completely different beast going live versus the post-production show that they've been putting out since its inception. Well, yeah, that's going to be a, another very interesting point. I mean, you you just mentioned kind of the management, the the heads, the figures that are going to be leading that production. But we also got to look at measuring up a college, a college staff at Full Sail. Obviously, you know they're they're some of the best in the world at what they do. It's a tremendous program. But on the flip side of that, 
AEW has aligned themselves with some tremendous production individuals, and they still have the ability to go out and grab more if they'd like. Just be, just because of the tie the tie-ins that you have, you know, within the world of you know American football and and soccer, you know, just you know soccer around the globe or whatever. There, I, I wonder. My biggest fear for, and I'm sure it is with uh, so many other individuals, and this has been talked about in the multiple circles that we run in here, is what changes are we going to see to that production? You know, is it when does Vince step in here and when do we see Bucky start, you know, kind of meddling his fingers around in the the cookie jar? Yeah, reports are that Bucky and Vince are going to be completely hands off of NXT. But, you know, if AEW comes out and smacks them around on the ratings, that's going to change real quick and in a hurry. Um, One thing I did find kind of interesting over the course of this week, I was listening to good old JR on his Grilling JR podcast with uh, Conrad Thompson. And he kind of dropped something that I think has been completely overlooked when he was talking about the creative team for AEW. Rick, I think I know how this thing is actually working now. They have three sets of three inside of the creative team for AEW. There's the pairing of Matt Jackson and Cody, and then you have Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, and then you have Kenny Omega and Brandy, and they're booking the singles, the tag, and the women's division underneath of those sets of two and then tony khan is the head of creative and he makes the third inside of all three of those sets so he's kind of the facilitator as they're all kind of linking things together and he's kind of okay but we've got this going on making sure there's no cross directions he's going from group to group kind of dotting the eyes crossing the t's yep and it's the old school three-man booking team is how they're basically doing this thing. It's just that when it comes to the men's singles division, it's Matt Jackson, Cody, and Tony. And then when it comes to the tag division, they're letting Matt and Nick and Tony take care of it. And the women's division is Kenny, Brandy, and Tony. I think this is actually genius, the way that they've put this thing together. As we're talking about all these other individuals coming in here as producers, how do you think this complete dynamic is going? Is it just straight old school? Okay, this is coming from creative... Tony is then kind of taking all these ideas and then going to the individual, you know, agents that are in charge of of certain uh, either divisions or matches. The way it kind of seems to me is this is where we are. This is where we want to get to within this amount of time. So let's say that the program is going to be with MJF and Hangman Page. So Tony takes that then to... Dean Malenko and Dean Malenko grabs a hold of MJF and Hangman Page and says, all right, we're filling 12 weeks of TV. What do you guys want to do? And that's how the creative process is working. I mean, it sounds, you know, outside of having, you know, the little sets of teams, but it goes back to a very basic traditional formula that we've heard for some for so long. Yeah, it's so old school that. It seems like it's going to work for me, for my taste anyway. Um, I think the biggest thing that is really being talked about inside of this AEW versus NXT war, Rick, what is the effects going to be on Raw and SmackDown? Uh, very interesting question there, Jargo. It gave us quite a bit of thought here. Let's go right back to let's, Before we jump into the other two WWE brands here, what do you think the effect's going to be on these individuals actually, you know, setting up for what is being dubbed as the Wednesday night war? Uh, do, do you think they benefit? Cause it's, you know, 
wrestling's on television. We're going to flip around. It's going to, you, you at least know you've got all these eyes hopefully coming to Wednesdays to watch either product. It's going to, you know, you're going to put your best foot forward trying to stay ahead of the competition. Which one, you know, how do you think it's going to affect them? I, I think it's going to be interesting because what I have heard from backstage at NXT is that they think that their product is superior to what the main roster is putting out, which is everything that we have been saying forever. And they, there is a feeling inside of the NXT locker room that once they get on USA Network with two hours, we keep talking about Vince coming down and dipping his fingers into NXT. There is a real feeling inside the NXT locker room that they are going to force change onto Raw and SmackDown, not the other way around. Well, and I think you are going to see an influence like that. And I, and I think it's because it's going to be because they are kind of the ones right there in the trenches. They're on the front line, you know, taking on this new alternative, this new force that is happening. And I, and I actually think on the flip side as well, I think it's going to help AEW. You know, it's going to make them push their game a little bit. So there's, some of their stars are going to have to shine a little bit more. And the, di- the dynamic and the style that we are going to see between NXT and AEW, they have a core base. People are going to follow them there. And there could be so many naysayers. Oh, is that enough? Is that, a, is, that, is that going to be able to sustain tremendous rating? Is that going to keep networks happy? I think over time, what you get there is this very little core audience, supposedly small core audience that, that we belong to. We're going to, be able, we're going to be that marketing tool for both of these promotions. You know, the, the, throwback, the throwback fans are going to come ask us questions. What's going on? They're going to want to come back and be interested. And the product you're getting on Wednesday, I think, is going to completely blow away on Monday, you know, what we're going to see Monday and Friday. There is another company that I think is really going to have a hard time with this, and that is Nielsen. Because now same night DVR is included inside of this thing. So when you see that NXT had 1.5 million viewers and you see that AEW had 1.5 million viewers, that very easily could be the same 1.5 million people. That's not a total of 3 million people. And Nielsen's going to have to be able to sort that out to advertisers and to the networks. And I don't know if there is any logical way for them to do that when they're tracking live viewership and same night DVR viewership. So, so in that case, if you were either network you're just in your pitch. You're just going to want to say there's this many people watching professional wrestling on a Wednesday, which all around, it, it doesn't matter which promotion it's, it's happening. We go head to head, but there are people watching us. It's about how we can get you advertised. How effectful, how effectful can we be in making sure that your product is out there? Now, could this break the, the traditional form, you know, formula for commercials could we see more in-show advertising well and that's going to be the interesting thing because there's also the perspective of the advertisers that says we don't know how many of these people are watching on dvr and if they're watching on dvr chances are that they're fast forwarding through the commercials so they're not seeing the commercials to begin with and make no mistake we've we've had this conversation before this is the, the tv shows are there to get you to watch the commercials not the other way around so a lot of these networks they don't give a shit about same night DVR, but the second that they're not counting same night DVR inside of the ratings, then all the 
major networks lose their mind because that's how they think they're getting their advertising. Because you just see that major dip. Exactly. I think it, it would be something, you know, to sit down, you know, maybe we take a week or so to, to really think it over as we both kind of work in those worlds, you have television, me with marketing, advertising, and maybe, maybe we come up with something. Is, is there a new direction for well, advertising? Is it something that professional wrestling could, could dominate on? I mean, you see it a lot of times in other sports, other, you know, those big events where we're seeing product placement inside of the actual program. And the problem becomes they can't track what you're watching live versus what you are recording to your DVR. They can just track what is viewed. So if, you, if you're watching a program live and you record it onto your DVR, they have no way to know if you're watching that program live and recording it to your DVR or if you're recording that to your DVR and watching something else completely. They can't track that. And it, that's going to have to be an internal fix. I mean, that's just something that, that they're going to be a, that for them as an industry to grow forward. Uh, that's something, you know, on a tech side, completely over our heads. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but I guess back to the original there, I, I would say I, I could potentially see the biggest loser in this. I think Fox is going to want something so different than we're used to with SmackDown Live. They're going to be able to sustain themselves. I think Wednesday, the competition is going to push one another. I could definitely see Raw being the ultimate loser here. See, and the fear with Monday Night Raw for me is going into Monday Night Football season. But there's also the simple fact, that, and we have known this forever, Monday Night Raw is an institution inside of this country. There, there is roughly 1.7 million people who watch Monday Night Raw every week, regardless of how good or bad it is, just because it's an institution. So you have the institution on Monday, then you have the war on Wednesday. By Friday, people are going to be so sick and tired of watching wrestling, the last thing they're going to want to do is tune into SmackDown. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking seven hours of wrestling before you get to SmackDown every week. Well, I think it's, it's going to be a, a lot of, of how this is presented, you know, from Fox. Are, are we going to get that more, you know, combat sport look that we've heard so much about? Uh, hey, you were talking about, you know, just the football comparison. Monday Night Football, yeah, we're, we can't argue the, the great juggernaut that it is. We see each and every year, it, you know, even if it's like the NCAA, you know, championship game, what's up against Raw or whatever, Monday Night Football on the weekly, I mean, it, it takes a tool in, in this modern era. Friday nights, they've never been able to pull strong numbers. When they were running old Friday nights, I know it was a pre-tape and I, but no matter what network, they, they did Fridays on a multitude of networks you're making a football comparison. You're trying to hit households. You're trying to hit families. And we know those important demographics. They're involved in high school football. I mean, yeah. they're out doing things on their Friday night. And that's when the family comes, you know, fun comes together for you know a little bit of time, pizza, whatever movie night like that. And you know what they're that, counting on in that's that gonna case? That's going to take a hit on Friday. You know what they're counting on in that case? Same night DVR viewership. You know, it brings it right back to that conversation. Same night DVR. Well, in, in itself, with WWE, does professional wrestling get lost in this new sports block on Fox? I mean, you're going to have, what, what do we got? Football, then wrestling, and then we've got a whole day of, like, college football, NASCAR, and then the NFL again on Sunday? Well, did you did you see the uh, video of R-Truth 
earlier today where there was uh, one of the Fox College football hosts actually won the 24-7-7-11 championship? Oh, yeah. I've certainly seen it. People are already losing their heads over this one. Absolutely. That's the best usage of that championship I've seen thus far. You know what? I absolutely, I don't know what people are expecting from this thing. That's what this belt is. And if you really look at this thing, our troops been making some tremendous, tremendous news rounds, you know, hitting the PR trail. And it, instead of like, we talked about, you know, almost a year ago, what he was doing, all the positive things he was doing for the United States championship. Now you've kind of given him his own venue, his own outlet to take some gold with him and go out there and promote professional wrestling and the enter the true entertainment side of the product. I got to tell you, man, I, I still would wish, you know, they would have gone in another direction, but it is here. So we, we don't talk about just, Oh, it shouldn't have happened. I hate this. We got to talk about solutions and moving forward. I think they're doing right now. They're, they're doing a pretty damn good job moving this thing and, and properly using it. Yep. I completely agree. One of the other big things that we've heard talked about when it comes to AEW versus NXT is roster depth. So, Rick, I I took it upon myself. I went through and I have the top 12 for the AEW and NXT rosters. And then I went six deep on tag teams and the women. Did you have a chance to look at this at all? I did, bud. I think you did a, a tremendous job putting this thing together. Uh, have you shared this yet anywhere? No, I have not given this information to anyone other than yourself and Carly. Um, I think that there's a real problem that's a kind of a glaring hole for me inside of this NXT roster, especially when it comes to the men's singles division. Your top six, Adam Cole, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Velveteen Dream, Matt Riddle, and Pete Dunne. Rick, do you have any qualms? I mean, obviously you've seen the next six. Do you, do you think that top six is pretty accurate? I agree with you there. And I know, you know, at first we could talk about a little, uh, maybe some issues with size, but they're going to look a lot like the AEW guys. They're going to look like their competition. They represent as long as NXT can, you know, stay pretty much true to what it's always been in its style and its presentation, they're going to look tremendous. And I think they're so diverse in what each brings to the plate that it sets you up perfectly for, you know, such a dynamic program. Now, one of the big problems becomes the next six. You have Roderick Strong, Damian Priest, Keith Lee, Kushida, Donovan Dijakovic, as soon as he returns from injury. And then I put ACH slash Trevor Lee, whatever the hell their names are, inside of NXT. They were the two finalists inside of the breakout tournament. And I felt like they went with ACH because Adam Cole is a heel and he's currently the champion. That's who they're going to challenge. So it makes absolute sense to put the baby face over even though i think they probably have more invested in trevor lee going forward my problem is those next six does that do it for you when you're talking about a two-hour show you know i'm i'm really interested to see if this is how may how they maintain their structure because I'm I feel like the only maybe, one, the only one of these guys with any like real nxt tv fan base is Roderick Strong as part of the Undisputed Era. Dar- Damian Priest just debuted. Keith Lee is hot and cold. 
Kushida, I don't even know what in the hell's going on with him. Dijakovic hasn't been on TV in quite a while while he's rehabbing an injury. And then we have this whole crop of talent that we're bringing in from this breakout tournament. I'm kind of curious, you know, individuals like Dijak and like Punishment and Lee, if they will be long for NXT, if they'll going forward, individuals that kind of fit that mold will come through, maybe work that, you know, some sort of either dark matches or just live events, maybe the NXT B shows that stay down there in the South, just so they can get familiar with the style, what's happening down there. And then if we don't see them immediately go to, you know, possibly raw where it is that more of that traditional larger than life figures, you know, the big hulks and all that uh, going more towards that sports entertainment. And we, and then, then possibly we see, which we've already seen is individuals like Tyler Breeze who fit more of that NXT mold of the golden black, maybe they transition back into there. And I'm wondering is, as well, you know, a lot of people that are going to be casually uh, as soon as they start gravitating towards this thing, as I said, we're going to be a tremendous marketing tool is, you know, us diehard fans uh, of all of professional wrestling for either of these shows. As soon as, you know, the throwbacks or the today's casuals start migrating towards these products, they're going to see people they're familiar with on AEW. And that might not be the case with, with NXT. So WWE might be looking to, you know, to maybe regroup and bring some uh, familiar faces back. It's kind of an issue, man, because you're, you're dead on. There's not any star power on the NXT roster and it's not the talent. I absolutely love all this talent. They just haven't been on a national stage. And if I have my choice between number one being Adam Cole and number one being Chris Jericho, and I'm trying to get somebody to tune in to watch the show, 99.9% are going to go to Jericho before they know who Adam Cole is. Yeah, I guess, you know, let's be fair. Let's not say star power, let's say exposure. Yeah, I, I guess that is actually a better word. But you're right. If, if you're telling me, and we were talking about potential for, you know, with the Moxley return, what that means for television. If you're telling me that I got John Moxley, Kenny Omega, and Chris Jericho involved in a three-way blood dance, people are going to get, they're going to draw towards that over, okay, Ciampa, Gargano, and Cole. And that's not a knock on anybody. That's just because of the exposure. Yeah. When, when you look at the AEW top six, I have Jericho, Moxley, Omega, Cody, Sean Spears, and MJF against Adam Cole, Ciampa, Gargano, Velveteen, Matt Riddle, and Pete Dunne. There's certainly a lot more star power, a lot more notoriety on that AEW roster inside of that top six. I'll tell you an interesting dynamic there that, that I think is going to be very, very cool to see play out. And it's going to be show versus show. It's going to be, it's going to, we're going to see the, the personas, the charisma of Velveteen versus those same things of MJF. Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating watch. The next six on the AEW roster, I have Hangman Page, Pac, Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, Darby Allen, and Sammy Guarva. Rick, do you agree with that as the AEW top 12? I, I would say that you, you, you about nailed it right on, right on the head there. Okay, so here is the problem that I have that we keep hearing about when it comes to the AEW roster. People are paying way too much attention to the lower mid-card. People keep talking about Orange Cassidy, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of talk about Sonny Kiss. And it's like, you know what? 
it's okay if they have Marco Stunt and the Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. The singles roster goes 12 deep before I get to any of those people. Yeah, I mean, that's just going to be nice filler with, you know, and, and most of those most of those are more about their persona and character than what they're going to, you know, seriously bring to evolving and moving a promotion forward. The librarians, like, that that's what's getting all the hype right now. People want keep wanting, oh, they got Michael Nakazawa. Yeah, but he's like, what, the 16th guy on the roster? How much TV time are we going to give to Michael Nakazawa? Well, and that's, that, we're just talking about singles right now. Right, we haven't even made it to the women or the tag. And I think what's going to be very interesting is how tag wrestling is going to be presented between these companies. We know what AEW is going to be bringing to the table. I mean, arguably the, the, the finest tag division in the world. Uh, and, it, and it's looking that it's only going to get stronger with the assumed addition of LAX. Yeah. And NXT has seemed to have been down on what once was the, the driving force in tag team wrestling. Are they going to be able to bounce back? I think that's going to be another interesting, you know, a war within the war, a battle within the war. Well, let's take a look at the tag team divisions. On the NXT side, again, I only went six deep here. You have Red Dragon, you have the Street Profits, and then you start getting into Brizongo, the Forgotten Sons, Lorcan and Birch, the one-two punch, and Marcel Bartel and Fabian Aikner. Like, you got to go that deep to get six tag teams deep on the NXT side of the roster. Well, I think it is fair, too, as we're looking at what they've been able to give us. They've been dealing with one hour of programming. So they, they are going to start regrouping and rebuilding to, you know, to get through that two hours. I think for the two-hour show, what they need to do, we need Authors of Pain back in NXT. We need the artist formerly known as War Machine back in NXT to kind of flip this a little bit. Because when you look at the AEW side of the roster, you have the Young Bucks, the Lucha Bros, the Best Friends, the Dark Order, SCU, Private Party, and presumably LAX. You know, across the board, it's going to be interesting if, if to see if WWE is going to be able to sustain all of these divisions. Yeah, this is where things are going to start getting rough. I mean, once with that one hour of TV, you can get away with Red Dragon versus the Street Profits for four months. You're not going to be able to get away with that with two hours of TV. Let's take a look at the women's roster. This is one that clearly seemed to me that this has to favor NXT, right? Because we all know how deep the women's roster has been inside of NXT. Currently, we have Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai, Mia Yim, Bianca Belair, Candice LeRae, and presumably Rhea Ripley, who is now listed on the NXT America roster. She will be a very, very fine addition. But Rick, the NXT women's roster doesn't feel nearly as deep as it used to. I think it still holds the advantage. And again, you know, and I think it's, it maybe it doesn't seem as deep because we've, we've kind of just fallen into this complacency, you know, complacency within the division. It's kind of just been rinse and repeat as the dominance of Baszler rolls on. On the women's side, inside of AEW, we have Dr. Britt Baker, B. Priestley, the current stardom champion, Allie, who has Impact Wrestling exposure, Nyla Rose, Kylie Ray, and I'm assuming one of these Joshi girls is going to separate herself as kind of the face of that Joshi division inside of the AEW women's division. 
Right now, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Yuka. Yeah, I, I would agree there. And then mainly, they just they want someone just so that it has that different look, that exotic feel to it. Yep. So some variety within the division. But, you know, I don't feel like it's necessarily that far apart. Like, Shayna Baszler and Io Shirai, along with Candice LeRae, definitely gives NXT's women's division the advantage. But I don't feel like those three are that far ahead of Britt Baker, B. Priestley, and Allie at this point. And again, you know, there's so much excitement around you know what's going on with you know the top men in the tag division within AEW. And it's going to be interesting once we get to television, the attention that they give towards the women and how they're actually going to promote it itself. You know, up to this point, it has been a little disappointing with AEW. They've kind of gone that route of what you're used to with the red and blue, where it's okay, let's get a bunch of our girls together, let's throw them all together, give them their moment, and kind of go on our way. Hopefully they start defining who these individuals are, giving them, you know, different storylines, different direction. That's what's going to be important to separate them. And then you also have the potential threats of Brandy Rose and Awesome Kong kind of looming on the outside for AEW. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, some potential free agents that are going to be becoming available soon, now, in like the next year or so that are going to be looked to to fill some of this roster space and fill out some of these TV shows. Rick, it's a good time to have your name on this list. Uh, Marty Skrull is the one that everybody is, of course, talking about. When I look at these roster depth charts and I kind of break them down, I really feel like NXT needs Marty more than Marty needs to go to AEW. I would have to agree. I think, you know, that's a certain game changer. I mean, that is in a weird kind of way. You know, that's that, that surprise. He takes you back to one of the, you know, the good old days of the wars where you don't know where someone's going to show up at. He's going to be a hot play, especially for these core audiences. Matt Taven, his contract is coming up soon with Ring of Honor. Of course, he's currently the, the reigning ROH champion. You would like to think that ROH is going to make a big play for him. But, you know, with these other two companies, Taven could be a very welcome addition to that AEW second tier. I think on e in either direction, you could do some things with Taven. Plus, he has a ton of Lucha experience in Mexico. I think that's where we get to the very interesting dynamic of who is potentially going to be up uh, within a year, year and a half. You're going to see a lot of these luchadors that have had these working agreements. They're going to become available themselves. Of course, another one of those guys is Brian Cage. He's going to be coming up very, very soon, as well as Killer Cross, who has worked some AAA shows. It would make sense that Killer Cross would end up inside of AEW. But, you know, NXT is going to have to fill some of these roster spots, too. Well, and, and as you say, it's easy to make this link between, you know, if you're working with AEW, if that's, if, you know, with AAA, and then you got that link into AEW, you maybe got some ties there. They, they are that hot new kid on the block. But, yeah, as, as you're saying there, there's only so many spots to go around. And where are you going to fit that dynamic? And eventually, even AEW themselves is going to have to push some people out, which could become available for NXT. I think that's going to be the other thing. It's seeing some people go back and forth here. If you're Impact Wrestling, you know that not only is Brian Cage coming up, but also Tessa Blanchard is coming up. Oh, yeah, and OVE is going to be coming up. Of those three acts, which ones do you absolutely make a play for? 
I, I absolutely think we've had this conversation before, and I know it, it sounds a little bit crazy, but when you really you know break everything down and get down to the bottom line, I, I think it's you know the most important piece of your of your puzzle is Sammy Callahan if you're Impact Wrestling. Yeah, I agree. I think Impact has to pull out all the stops to keep Sammy Callahan from jumping ship. And you know there's going to be pressure for Sammy Callahan to join AEW with Moxley over there. Uh, Yeah, you're going to have something there. You have those ties. Uh, But, you know, even deeper than just what he brings for, I mean, anyone that's been on the press pass with Sammy that sees him just doing any kind of PR work, how incredible he is and what he brings to it. There's a reason he has dubbed himself the draw. In this day and age, that's what he's doing exactly for Impact Wrestling. Uh, Of course, you got the Chris Brothers there. But even to go a little deeper with with, uh, Impact's taping schedule, they do a lot working with Rockstar Pro. Yeah. Uh, they run a lot of you know a lot of joint things together. They're getting some young talent fed through there. You don't have that offered through through Cage and Tessa, as well as um, uh, the Wrestling Revolver. Sammy runs that show as well. You, you got that tied in as well, and I think long term you're looking at it. Sammy's had that run in NXT. Obviously, you got the ties in AEW. He's been around the world. I think, you know, investing in him in a bigger picture is going to do more for you than Cage or Tessa. And then you, you really have to look back and say, all right, maybe we keep Cage around for this contract, but how long until he goes? The same with Tessa. I mean, she's one of the hottest commodities in all professional wrestling. You know, how long until just just by sheer, you know, forcing our hand, are we unable to afford and keep her? Now we've lost that entire investment. Yeah, I I completely agree. A couple of NWA names out there that I'm sure would be welcome on either one of these rosters, the Cowboy James Storm and Eli Drake. Uh, We know that the NWA is going to be filming television, Rick, but that's probably going to be on a syndication deal. How long until AEW and NXT come knocking on the NWA door? Uh, if you want, you want tons of personality. Someone's going to, you know, went on that PR trail. I almost wonder, you know, if somebody, if you're Impact Wrestling, you almost go back with your tail between your legs. You know, Mr. Drake, we need you here. You know, is that the best fit? Or, or you got MLW still in the play? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Oh, and and there's, I was going to say, then there's that big old dragon in the east. Oh yeah. Yeah, there is that. There's also Johnny, whatever his name is, uh, Johnny Mundo, John Morrison. Rick, how has either NXT or AEW not scooped up John Hennigan yet? Well, I and mean, we're wondering how they have it. Maybe he just doesn't want to be a part of that. Well, I mean, that, uh, you got to believe, you know, that is always potential, you know, that he just wants to walk away. But, man, I feel like that's just money left on the table. No, I just, you're, I've been asking like up to this point with NXT, WWE, it seems like he's, he's one of those individuals that you may not notice it, but he is constantly working for big promotions. He's getting probably the top dollar available there. He's done some things in television where he controls his own schedule. He's done some movie. He might be very happy where he's at and, and just kind of still has that bitter taste, uh, maybe a sourness from his days with WWE. You know, again, we go back, it is about financials. It's about business. I'm sure he knows if it was best for him, he would have made that move. But, you know, some of the stories, the backstage, I and mean, maybe how he was treated by some of the, you know, the top, you know, the top stars that were kind of, you know, rubbing elbows with the top brass there and now are the brass. Maybe he doesn't have, you know, the best feeling towards them. He seems like he would be a surefire main eventer the second that he showed up in NXT. 
Don't oh, you absolutely. Think? Absolutely. But I don't think he has that kind of pull inside of AEW. I think it'd be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, it, it might take some time to grow. I'm starting at the top of that mid and working into that main event. Uh, but you got to believe, I mean, him working a program with Omega or Jericho, any of them would be incredible. I'd love to see it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about All Out. Uh, Road to All Out Episode 7 is out right now. Hangman Page sitting down with good old Jim Ross. Uh, Rick, what do you think of Hangman Page and him basically trademarking, we're doing cowboy shit? I think he, that's what we need. We, we need a different look, that different style from him, right? We need something to define him now. He needs something almost like that catchphrase, that gimmick that you can relate with him. Because right now he's kind of just been, he's just in this void and he's going to be challenging for your championship. I do like that he laid out there that since this company started, he's been saying that he needs to be the very first AEW champion. And if he loses this match, he has to start over. Jericho, on the other hand, he doesn't need this. He loses this match. He's just going to go cut a new Fozzie record and just go back out on tour. He's Chris Jericho. He can do whatever the hell he wants. I know you can present it that way, but inside of it, Chris Jericho is this now, he's elevated himself. We've talked about this regularly across the, the shows that we've got. You know, as he, as he moved himself into that true upper upper echelon, yes, he has. He goes where he wants, when he wants, does what he wants, and his ego wants this. Because this is the first. This is the only one that's ever going to be the first. And you know Chris Jericho would want that. I'm kind of hoping that we get a big promo out of Jericho this week, kind of responding to Hangman Page, don't you? We haven't heard from Jericho in quite a while now. I'm I'm expecting that we will. I mean, I think we're, I think when we get to Monday, they are going to absolutely turn up the volume and rip it off. You know, rip the knob off. Had another big tag match announced on the road to All Out. Private Party is going to take on in Helico and Jack Evans. That match, in addition to the 21-woman Casino Battle Royale, will be on the buy-in. Rick, what do you think of that as your pre-show for All Out? Uh, reminds me a lot of, the, of what we saw in the last one. You know, this is going to be, you got the Battle Royale, and then we're going to have a uh... Uh, kind of an over-the-top tag match. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see what we get from Private Party. Uh, I think, you know, this thing is going to be an absolute spot fest. They're going to be all over the place. Uh, but are you expecting Private Party to, to give us all of, you know, their kind of persona bits here? I kind of am. we're going to start seeing a little more serious. I kind of expect it in this matchup because I think Jack Evans can play off of that magnificently. Jack Evans just oozes personality to the point that a lot of people don't like Jack Evans because he's kind of a show-off smartass. I could absolutely see him like trying to outdance Private Party in this match. I absolutely get down with that there, and and I think too if you're we had talked about them maybe showing a more serious side to really you know separate them from their posers, the Street Profits. But I would I would hold off for Private Party, and as you had mentioned last week, Jargo. I think the right time, the right moment to do that would be against the Bucks to really, to really have that big spotlight and shine. Hey, but you know, as we talk about Jack Evans, we're looking at this roster. That's a hidden gem. That's a hidden treasure that they've got on this, on this roster. Yeah, absolutely. And I love me some Angelico. 
I think that guy just has a ton of potential that nobody has really given him that big platform to do it. We saw it a little bit inside of Lucha Underground. The only thing is his accent is something else, and I hate hearing him cut promos. Uh, the 21-woman casino battle royale. We know that the winner of it will be moving on to the very first AEW Women's Championship match. Rick, who do you think is going to win this thing from the names that you've seen announced for it? And it's, it, this is a very interesting dynamic. If this is going to give you a spot, you're going to go right to it, correct? We just put you in the championship match? Yep, this puts you in the championship match. And then we have uh, a Joshi match actually on the card as Riho is going to take on Hikaru Shida. I almost expect that Riho wins that, and that will be your matchup for the very first AEW Women's Championship, have Riho versus whoever wins this 21-woman casino battle royale because they're really trying to push this Joshi thing and get it over, kind of like WCW did with Lucha. I still think, as I said, I'm hoping to go a little different direction to start, you know, making, you know, giving these girls significant roles. But from what we've seen so far, they're grouping together. I don't know if we're going to get a traditional one-on-one about Jargo. I think we're going to see probably a fatal four-way or, you know, an elimination four-way. Interesting. Uh, I, I really want to see Britt Baker versus B Priestley. That's the match that I want to see. I just don't think that we're going to get it unless it comes down to they're the final two inside of the Casino Battle Royal. So that's what I'm leaning towards. I'm going to say B Priestley and Dr. Britt Baker are going to be the final two. I think we might get something where we got controversy. Let's, let's go back to, uh, was it WrestleMania 10, correct? Both of them hit the floor at the same time. Yeah, and, and we've got something up in the air, so maybe those two become the finalists here. Make damn sure you shoot it for opposite hard cam if you're going to do that so that there's no way to prove that one of them hit the floor first. We've seen that spot botched way too many times. Uh, we also saw the Young Bucks promo. They're talking about uh, the Lucha Bros, assuming that ray phoenix can walk rick this was the more serious side of the young bucks it gives me a little bit of hope going into aew because i i really want this to be a much more new japan version of the young bucks as opposed to the version that we see on being the elite all the time yeah it, it, it is so different you know as you had pointed out last week and anyone that has listened to us in our in our early runs two years ago i, I there was nothing about the bucks that i really found over you know very overly redeeming. I understood how tremendous they were, you know, and marketing themselves and how popular it just wasn't my style. And then you introduced me to what they had going on in New Japan. And it was like, you know, heckle and jive. Yeah, it was completely different individuals. Inside down and upside out. So here's your updated card for All Out. The best friend's going to take on the Dark Order. The winners will receive a first-round bye inside of the tag team tournament. Semifinals have been announced. They will be going down on October 23rd in Pittsburgh. And the finals going down October 30th in Charleston, West Virginia. You also have Riho versus Haruku Shida. Darby Allen, Joey Janela, and Jimmy Havoc are all going to square off in a triple threat match. Cody versus Sean Spears, the Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks in a Escalera de la Marta, Pac versus Kenny Omega, and then of course your big main event, Hangman Page versus Chris Jericho. Rick, we know that Adam Cole is going to be the champion going into NXT on Wednesday nights on the USA Network. 
we have been saying forever that we thought Jericho should win this match. Does the announcement of NXT moving to USA change the booking of this match whatsoever? Do you want a legend like Jericho opposite of Adam Cole? And then you look at the two of them and you're like, oh, I want to watch NXT because NXT is the future. Or do does somebody look at it and say, oh, I want to watch this because I know Chris Jericho. Like, would it be better to go with Hangman Page? So it's the future versus the future. I, I still am going to stand by with what I thought all along, even before we knew they were going to be going head to head. We were going to have this Wednesday war because we still knew we had NXT on Wednesday. They still were going to have some sort of product. They were still moving forward. What was going to be best then still is best for me now. And that is Chris Jericho. I think I still agree. I think I still go with Jericho, but I'm way, I'm, I'm not nearly like the 80, 20 that I was before. I'm more down to like 60, 40. I think you can make a real case for hangman page at this point. I think you could for Page, and I'm not, again, this isn't a knock on Adam Page at all. I absolutely believe he is the the future of professional wrestling, such an incredible talent all around from the persona to, you know, how he can handle himself on on the mic, how he's in front of the camera, the moveset, you know, how diversified he is inside the ring. Tremendous upside here. I just think for getting out of the gate, establishing who you are, bringing notoriety to that championship, you know, Adam Page could have reigns, you know, reign as the AEW champion, multiple reigns for years to come. You don't you likely don't have so much with Jericho. I think the other thing that plays into it has got to be that Kenny Omega versus Pac match, right? I mean, if Jericho's the champion, Kenny goes over in Pac's match. If Hangman's going to win the championship, then you go with Pac over Kenny Omega. I'm not sure that that's a loss that Kenny Omega can take right now, but... I, I feel like these two matches are very closely related now. I really feel we are coming out of the gate. These are the first shots that are going to be fired in these first six months. You know, as, as we really even head into WrestleMania season, where you get all these eyes on, you're going to want to get as, as many people excited about your program right now. And I think you do that with Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. It's going to be a fascinating watch next weekend in Chicago. Let's uh, go ahead. Let's flip things over and go to the West Coast to talk a little bit of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Huckleberry, we got to see round one of the Super J Cup. Well, we didn't get to see it because it wasn't on New Japan World. It still hasn't been uploaded on the New Japan World, and I'm very, very upset about it. But here are the results for round one from the Temple Theater in Tacoma, Washington. Saw TJ Perkins defeat Clark Connors from the LA Dojo with Shibata looking on. Uh, Rick, I'm, I'm really kind of liking this Clark Connors kid. I know A-Track Brown is absolutely picked up on this kid as well. Have you seen much of him? Uh, actually, I, I went and sought out some of his work just because of A-Track. He's been all over it. Uh, and, you know, he's when it comes down to the style, Track's got, that, got a good eye for it. Yeah, absolutely. Saberano Jr. defeats Rocky Romero. No surprise there, as Rocky is probably running most of these shows. Caristico defeats Bushi. I thought that was interesting. We had two gentlemen from CMLL move on to the next round. Taguchi defeats Jonathan Gresham, so the ROH representative. He's out already. El Fantasmo defeats Robbie Eagles. Of course, 
long-standing rivalry between those two gentlemen. Dragon Lee, also CMLL, but, you know, he does a lot of work with New Japan as well. He defeats Yo of Rapunky 3K. But then Rapunky 3K's show gets a big win over Taiji Ishimori. Rick, that has to be the upset of the first round. I was looking at these things. You know, going back, what really jumped out to me is Gresham getting that early exit. Yeah, that one surprised me, too. The major... I don't know if it's the major upset, but it absolutely shocked me. Well, you know, it's kind of like best of super juniors. It's the only time that you take Taguchi seriously is when he's in a tournament. There, there we go. Uh, and of course, there the, the big one that everyone was looking forward to, uh, Osprey and Amazing Red, with uh, the payoff after all this long of the back and forth, the, uh, the the verbal punches, if you will. And I cannot wait to see this match because Rick Brian Alvarez of the Wrestling Observer, who I don't have uh, much love for, I met him at Starcast, kind of thought he was a douchebag. But Brian Alvarez says that this is that, might... is that Banana Boy. Yes, that's the okay, one. Banana Boy, I got it. Uh he says that this might be the best match that he has ever seen live. Brian Alvarez has seen a lot of shows. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing this matchup between Will Ospreay and the amazing red. I'm sure that this is, it gotta be a five-star classic. I'm so mad. This wasn't on new Japan world. Hold on. Five star or seven banana peels from banana boy. Be six banana peels if it happened in the Tokyo Dome. That's for sure. Round two going down tonight is going to see Will Ospreay take on show. TJ Perkins versus El Fantasmo. Dragon Lee versus Taguchi. And two CMLL representatives face off as Carisico takes on Saburano Jr. Finals Sunday inside of the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach. I hope to have full results for you Monday morning inside of the locker room. Rick. Are you are you picking Osprey to win this tournament like the rest of the world is? As I'm looking through this, who do you think is this the way this thing is going to the way that you got this that structured? Is this like the final four? Is this exactly how the bracket happens? I believe so. It'll be the winner of the first two matches against the winner of the second two matches. Okay. Uh, as I was looking here, I I, I like Alpha Tasmo, but I don't. I wouldn't like him going to the finals against Osprey, but I see him getting eliminated. I am going to go with Osprey and, oh, man, that's a tough one, isn't it? I'm going with Osprey versus Dragon Lee in the final. Yeah, that's what I was looking at, but Christico kind of jumped out at me. Man, they, they have really been trying to get behind Caristico. Everybody's trying to get behind Caristico. ROH is pushing the hell out of him. Wait, is, is he on? Everywhere. It, 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 it seems like he's starting to finally cl- like click a little bit. Uh, but, you know, going back. What was it? I mean, not even a year ago when uh, Mr. Robin Nelson of the Wrestle Podcast and I went up to, you know, check out Ring of Honor in Columbus, Ohio. Nobody knew who uh, he was. was. Most of the crowd was, you know, I was getting kind of excited. I'm talking, I'm talking to like fellow journalists and podcasters right there in the pit with us. And they're kind of like, you know, could you bring us up to speed on them? I'm like, really? It's that's, that's fucking Sin Cara. That's the original Sin Cara. Mystico. It was just going over people's heads. Man, just it's crazy how that works, isn't it? Uh, looking forward to actually being able to see this tournament. Come on, New Japan, get your shit together. Uh, let's talk about a couple of shows that are going to be seen this weekend. It's Ring of Honor. That's right. They're putting on two big shows this weekend. Kind of snuck up on me, Rick. These two kind of caught me a little bit off guard. Uh, I know. It's, so we've got one, only one streaming, correct? 
I was under the impression both of these nights were streaming and they were f- and they were filming TV matches beforehand, which is why we have such short cards here. So like the, the live attendance is getting a full card. We're going to get like half of each card on. OK, Honor so Club. we're going. OK. And again, you know, another thing, since uh, everyone says we love on certain promotions here, so we, we can uh, the criticism can, can be real spread across the board. This, again, is where. In some of their advertising, you see this in their regular and their marketing. It's kind of confusing with Ring of Honor. It's, you know, you don't know when it's starting in your time zone. What kind of, you know, are they giving you a full card? Is this one of those partial television tapings? So it it looks like maybe we're just getting two partials. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. We're getting two half shows this weekend out of Ring of Honor. Tonight at center stage, of course, in Atlanta. Live stream for Honor Club starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, Rick, there's some big matches on here. <coughs> Excuse me. Bandito takes on Marty Skrull. Uh, Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams take on Brody King and PCO. A triple threat match between LSG, PJ Black, and the Bullet Club's Chase Owens. Too sweet. Sumi Sakai is going to take on Angelina Love. And then in your big main event, it's going to be Champions versus All-Stars. Matt Taven, the Briscoes, and Shane Taylor taking on the team of Jay Lethal, Jeff Cobb, Kenny King, and Roosh. Rick, it's going to be... Very interesting to see how these two teams, just the chemistry inside of the teams is going to work, let alone the match itself. I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be insane. You know, the story within the story, uh, you always, I always kind of like it when they put this match together, uh, just because, especially with the chance, all, all of the different dynamic and then over on the all-star side, you usually got, you know, the top competitors. Yeah. And that's very much how it's laid out with Lethal, Cobb, Kenny King, and Roosh. Uh, of course, very interested to see what happens between Jay Lethal and Kenny King. You know something's going to go down there. Um, anything else on this card absolutely stand out to you? I mean, I'm dying to see Bandito versus Marty Skrull. Uh, again, you know, that's, that's going to be a fun one there. Those guys are going to get the thing going. Um, you know, no matter, no matter where they're at, I know they're just listed here first, but no matter where they're at on the show, it's going to come to life. And again, you just when you now, you know, just thinking about it, and as we talk out loud about it a little bit here, this Champions versus All-Stars match, this thing could be absolutely wild, 100%. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Sunday. And, and as you're talking about Lethal and King in here, they, I, you know what, I'd really love to see Cobb attack Roosh. Well, and, and the big question, at least in my mind, is Roosh still hasn't been pinned inside of Ring of Honor. He's still undefeated. So I have to assume that the challengers, the all-stars, are going to win this match. Yeah, you've got that there. Or, you know, Roosh doesn't have to take the pin. I mean, just, you know, you can just always play off undefeated. And if you're Cobb and you think about the great run, the tremendous run you had, you know, in that same position, could there be a bit of jealousy that you want to go after Roosh and maybe reestablish yourself by taking that away from him? It would be nice if they gave Jeff Cobb some kind of personality inside of Ring of Honor. Sunday kicks off Honor for All. 
from Nashville, Tennessee. Rick, this is a huge show. There's a lot of championships on the line inside of this match. Roosh is going to start off taking on Vinny Marsilia. So we are now absolutely on the road to Matt Taven. We're going to see Roosh take on Vinny here. Chances are he's going to be taking on TK in the immediate future and then facing off with Matt Taven very, very soon. ROH six-man world championships on the line as finally Lifeblood is going to get a shot at Villain Enterprises. Rick, are you expecting the championships to change hands here? I think, you know, again, what we have to take into account, though, is who's representing Villain Enterprises? Is that certain? Um, my understanding is it'll be PCO, it's, Brody King, and Marty. And Marty. That's that's what I assumed when I, when I had seen this announcement. I didn't know if they were allowed interchangeable parts, but I think, you know, you got to watch on the outside. It is what flip, you know, how is flip going to get involved here? ROH World Television Championship on the line. I kind of wondered if this was going to be flip spot. You're going to see Shane Taylor in an open challenge. Rick, who on the ROH roster would you like to see challenge Shane Taylor? Jeff Cobb, maybe? Well, I think that's the easy pick as we go back and look at the night before. Oh, no, because Cobb, is, Cobb is in the main event this night, too. So it can't be Cobb. You know, I'm I'm thinking one of the Briscoes. No, because well, you got they, they have a match a, as well. They have a world championship match, so it's going to be very interesting. Who's going to take on Shane Taylor here? Could could this be could this be the debut of Hendry? Oh, that very well could be. Damn, I, I yeah, I look forward to that matchup. Then that'll be a hell of a lot of fun. Rick, this is not a typo for the ROH World Tag Team Championships. It's going to be them boys, the Briscoes, taking on the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, that's going to be eight. If anyone has missed this thing, going back to the Crockett Cup, go check it out. The first time around, it was a tremendous, very surprising outing. And especially, you know, I've seen Ricky Morton recently up close. Don't let him fool you. He can go. The Rock and Roll Express can still go. They are going to wow some individuals here. Plus, if you go back and check out that Crockett Cup, we've got some heat between these two. This thing could get ugly. The Briscoes do not like anything coming out of the NWA, and they certainly do not like the Rock and Roll Express. I can't believe this match is happening in 2019. Then your big main event, Defy or Deny, one of my favorite matches inside of Ring of Honor. This is a four-way elimination match. Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal versus Kenny King versus Jeff Cobb. Now, the rules to this match, if Lethal, King, or Cobb win, they are owed a world championship match. If Matt Taven wins, the person that he pins to win the match cannot have another shot at the title as long as Matt Taven is champion. Rick, who wins, defy or deny? You talk about it when you're looking up throughout the world of professional wrestling. Could the stakes get any higher than, than this right here? I mean, if you're Taven, you have an opportunity to eliminate one of your top competitors, someone that's going to be chasing you, that's hotly going to be chasing you. You could just scratch them, you know, off of the board. On the other end, though, I mean, this gives you know these other three gentlemen a, a tremendous opportunity to, to capture the championship. I gotta believe Taven is going to retain here, and the way things are going, I'm gonna say Lethal eats this pin. 
See, I'm, I'm so torn because I feel like Lethal and Kenny King are going to cancel each other out. Like, I feel like, you know, maybe Jay Lethal gets the pinfall on Kenny King rather than just leaving. Kenny King takes out Jay Lethal, Taven pins him, and then you're left with Jeff Cobb versus Matt Taven. Does Taven pin looking, Jeff Cobb? I don't wouldn't go that way. And again, what's Cobb have left on his deal? We're talking about individuals that might be coming up. I think he was one of those with their short deals, wasn't he? Yeah, I think his deal is up at maybe, the end of the year. Okay, maybe he's looking at an exit as we're talking about free agents. But uh, the reason I went with, you know, where I'm going here is, is I'm going to take Taven stealing a pin after Kenny King does something to Jay Lethal to pretty much, you know, he's completely unable to kick out here. And again, Kenny King just takes credit for continuing to ruin Jay Lethal's professional life. The other thing is, you know, Matt Taven is on that list. We know Taven is going to face off with Roosh for the ROH title. I guess the first question is, are they going to let Matt Taven be the first person to pin Roosh? That's going to be a very interesting thing. You know, I could really see building into all of this. Uh, let's go back to something you had mentioned there, and I can get on board with this, Jarko. Have Taven pin Cobb. We are talking about it just a moment ago, how Cobb needs some personality, some direction. Could you imagine a monster like him in that Taz, that Taz role? Okay, he's not allowed a match until... Taven, he's not going to be able to challenge for that championship until Taven loses it. Would you want him looking over all of your matches? If you're Taven just waiting for you to lose and, and knowing that he could pounce at any moment and help cause that to get himself back in a title picture? I kind of want to see Jeff Cobb, like, you know, lose this match and just go completely batshit insane. Be like, you know, okay, fine. I can't, I can't challenge for the title. I'm just going to kill all you motherfuckers then. Well, and at that point, too, he could challenge for the championship as long as he makes sure that Taven loses it. Yeah. If you're Taven, do you want that son of a bitch hunting down every match that you're in? Hell no. I don't. <laughs> I, I feel like Jeff Cobb needs to be a heel. Like, his offense is just I, so devastating that, like, I just want to see him pummel baby faces. I actually could get down with that 100%. You know, and having Ed Metting. Uh, just a hell about a year ago, it was just uh, at Warrior Wrestling, following following all in. Uh, such a great personality, though, man. You know, just talking to him for twenty minutes, and he's he's got you in stitches. You're you're dying laughing because you know just how outgoing he is. But when you look at him in the ring, if you're not going to give him the microphone, you're not going to let that shine. We just need a, a devastating bulldozer uh, of an sob right now. Yeah, because like I like Jeff Cobb, but when I think of my favorite Jeff Cobb matches. They all consist of him as the monster Matanza Cueto from Lucha Underground, like just as a as a heel destroying people. It's just because, you know, just his physique and his style just fits that. I mean, everything's just so devastating. Yeah, it'd be like Samoa Joe being like a white meat baby face. You know, it just doesn't work. Hmm. Kind of like that. Let's talk a little bit about WWE as we uh, start to wind things down here today, Rick. King of the Ring started off this past week. Um, number one, what did you think of the presentation of the King of the Ring tournament? And any major surprises or standouts for you coming out of King of the Ring this week? Well, I want to get a, one of the conversations I have in a live discussion with, uh, with Craig Horsley there. 
and I had mentioned, I wish that they didn't weren't presenting these tag matches while the tournament was going on. And he was very quick to point out, he's like, you know, don't they do this as well? You know, like in the G1, isn't this a regular thing that we see in new Japan? What I wanted to point out, you know, the difference in, in why I didn't prefer it is there's such a different dynamic between the promotions. You know, they're actually doing solid business that maybe we hadn't seen, or they're really furthering things. You know, just not between the certain competitors against one another, but you also have the, the faction wars within in New Japan. And they're continuing stories where WWE, they're just running them out there to hit some spots, let you know that these individuals are involved inside King of the Ring. To me, I really would have preferred, instead of seeing, what was first, I was like Miz and Ricochet versus Elias and Baron Corbin. And it's something we regularly see. It happens all the time. You could build a you could build a story to get me intrigued in these individual matches, without giving away any of those spots that we're going to see here within a week or so. Yep, I completely. And, agree. and in New Japan, and in New Japan, they're really good about protecting things that you're going to see within the actual match. Where WWE completely throws that out the window. Well, it's because WWE, it's all about hitting those signature spots. Right. And I get why they do that. You know, it's in their mindset is if you go to, you know, if you're going to listen to a band, you want to hear their popular songs. Yep. But it, it doesn't necessarily apply here to wrestling. They could have done some backstage vignettes to just get you excited about that. I did enjoy those for the matches they had that evening. I, I wish they would have went a little more in depth in, in, in doing so would have really explained the importance to us of the King of the Ring. Go back and really show that history, really get you excited about what this could mean, what this could do for an individual. I think they had the right direction. I liked what they were doing. I just think they, I wish they would have gone a little deeper with it. And overall with this King of the Ring, to me with the single eliminations, I really prefer a single night, especially since you've only got, you could have had the qualifiers like they used to with the 16 men, but then I would have preferred the, the final eight, the great eight, if you will, in a single night as tradition is, is held true with it. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. Uh, the first person eliminated from the King of the Ring tournament was Drew McIntyre. Uh, Rick, I have him down as the first one eliminated, thanks to Michael Cole, Renee Young, and Booker T, all three of which picked him to win this tournament, which tells me there's no chance in hell Drew McIntyre is winning this tournament. Yeah, I think, you know, but that they all go that direction. Hopefully, you know, maybe we get a little swerve here. As we were talking about last week and maybe predicting where things could play out, who could win certain things, who could benefit from actually claiming the crown here in this tournament. Obviously, Drew was at the top, you know, near the top of each of our lists, and we had solid reasons for each. Maybe we get a swerve here, but it's not very likely that, you know, the first time we're sitting down, we're bringing in a former King of the Ring winner and and what, how we get this to play out, and they all pick him. I don't know. You know. Hopefully a lot of people don't remember that that was said. Samoa Joe defeats Cesaro, eliminating him from the tournament. He was uh, one of the people that I actually could have seen winning this thing. What do you think of Samoa Joe eliminating Cesaro? Could you see Samoa Joe as the first king of the ring? Please say no. Not, he wouldn't be the first king of the ring. Well, uh, yeah, I Yes, just being the king of the ring. King of the ring. 
Uh, you know what? I was actually disappointed in this thing. I was really hoping we, I expected Joe to win, but was hoping we got a little bit of a swerve and, you know, the, the king of sling, a former king of wrestling would go on to be the king of the ring. I, I think even moving deeper into this tournament, it's not necessarily something Joe needs. Uh, unless he is ultimately going to win this thing, I, I guess maybe I'm just, I'm so down on Joe. I, I always respect what he's going to do. I know the energy. I know the persona that we're going to get, uh, but there's always that letdown. So maybe this is where he surprises everyone. I just don't know if, if not having that letdown in this tournament uh, of going the distance in this tournament really changes any of that for Joe, because do we expect him, you know, representing King of the Ring to actually go claim a major championship? I, I certainly don't. Now, in the case of Cesaro, I think this really, I mean, this could have, you know, reinvented what he's got going on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And unfortunately, the reason people are like, why doesn't Cesaro get pushed? Did you hear that promo that he cut Monday on Raw? He is just so animated. And this is how he sounds all of the time when he is talking. (laughs) That's why Cesaro doesn't get pushed. Cesaro needs a manager real bad. Well, and, and we saw how, how much that bombed when they tried with, with Heyman. And again, this goes back to, I like the direction. I like what they're attempting with these promos. But again, you, you got to protect this talent. Yeah. Cesaro. I do, like, I do like overall uh, that we heard that Vince wasn't there. Uh, Vince nor Bucky were there, were they? Oh, I don't know about Bucky. I know Vince wasn't there. Okay. Vince, Vince wasn't there. I did like the, uh, a little bit. You could tell they were putting a, a little bit of twist on things. We saw a lot more, a lot more happening backstage than the drawn out in the ring segments. Yeah. I completely agree with that. It, it very much felt like a Vince free show. Cedric Alexander defeats Sammy Zayn. Rick, we know what Sammy Zayn is going to do now. We'll, we'll talk about Nakamura here in a second, but who in the hell is Cedric Alexander? Like we had this conversation about Seth Rollins when Stone Cold said it. Like, who? What's a Seth Rollins? What's a Cedric Alexander? Well, I, I you know what I honestly believe at this point. Look at who's been pushed over you know the course of the last couple months to the year. I think it's it's diversity. Yeah, I mean the dude does does he even have a character? He's just the black dude that wrestles real good, right? Like that's his character. Yeah, um, and we and we've seen a guy like that that we're going to be talking about here in this first round in a moment. You know that was his character for the longest time. He's he's a black guy who smiles, who can wrestle. Yeah, and that that's pretty much all Cedric Alexander is. So let's talk about this pairing of Nakamura and Sami Zayn. Rick, what do you think? Is this thing going to work? Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think you know we're talking about someone that that certainly needs a mouthpiece, right? And Sami Zayn cuts a hell of a good promo lately. I don't know. I just, for some reason, this seems like a very awkward pairing to me. Like, the, it feels like an odd couple pairing, but they're kind of the same person. I think that's where, if you really dive into it, and I think what's, what's going to be unique in the pairing is we're so used to it when you see individuals, you know, placed together like this, they're so similar. So maybe it is kind of alarming. Oh, that you know they're actually doing something different here. I almost feel like this was put into place the way that it was put into place to set up Miz versus Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship. Rick, obviously, Miz is one of the most successful Intercontinental Champions of all time, but.
but the most successful Intercontinental Champion of all time is Chris Jericho. Is this being done to erase Jericho? Well, we've seen them do this before. You, you want to move somebody out of the record books here if, if you feel that they're a little bit detrimental to what you've got going forward. And, of course, um, it, even you know, if you're assuming, expecting Jericho to be representing AEW as its champion, even if, not, if that's not the case, he's still one of the faces of that promotion that's going to be challenging you on Wednesdays. And, and presumably, you're going to see him off and on of their television for you know years to come. Do you, do you want to bury that a little bit to make sure you know people are talking about in the record books, or is this something that backfires a little bit for maybe a, a sort of pettiness on WWE's part? Because I, I, I just feel I mean, records like, records are made to be broken. I feel like it's just so out of left field to put Miz into a program with Nakamura that it's like, why in the world would they be doing that? Oh, oh yeah, and, and you know the, the timing might be suspect it might even be as i said a little petty on wwe's part but if someone has earned to have you know records are made to be broken as i said if someone has earned to to have that placed on their resume it's got to be Miz. you know for sticking it out here for how he has evolved his game to what he has meant to this company especially here in the last five years when they're at you know all-time lows and you're looking at Miz is truly one of the flag bearers for for the company itself and and such a tremendous crossover uh you know person you know representing everything you've got there Miz has earned an opportunity like that the only way Miz passes Jericho as the greatest intercontinental champion of all time is if he goes over and he takes it from Tetsuya Naito and he holds it for you know six months just saying I, I I actually I'd like to see you know if he can surpass how many how many rings is he behind Jericho uh just two I think okay let, let's get to that number and on the one that ties that ties the mark or, or whatever there, go ahead and go all the way, make the commitment and have him surpass honky tonk, man. So you can tie all that together as the greatest intercontinental champion. That's just awful. Let's talk about the guy that's going to win the King of the ring. I'm absolutely sold on this, Rick. It's going to be King Andrade. He defeats Apollo Cruz. It was fine, but do we really need Zelina Vega to interfere in Every single Andrade match, does he really need Zelina Vega's help to beat Apollo Cruz? Well, I mean, that's uh, that's that's uh, what wrestling black guy number two that he went over on, yeah, basically. That's essentially that's all that Apollo was when they brought him up. They didn't really even have anything, a direction for him in NXT, so it was kind of shit or get off the pot. They bring him up, and he was he's really never been able to find a direction because they, they don't know what they have with him. Apollo Cruz is one of those guys that terrifies me that they're going to send him back to NXT and put him at the top of the card. And that just buries the entire NXT roster. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if he goes back to NXT, it's got to be in a rebuilding. And they need to realize that going to NXT does not mean you are, unless, unless you've had you know, true success on the red and blue, though, just because you, you've lasted so many years there and hell yeah, you've really done nothing. Just going back down there, that will be a, a, a terrible slap in the face to what they're trying to do with the golden black. But going back to you know your, your original point here, does Zelina have to get involved with everything? I mean, this is kind of, you know, 
Queen Sherry, Sensational Sherry, she didn't get involved in every match that the Macho King was winning, especially when he was going out. And this is the equivalent of him going out there on Wrestling Challenge and, and putting down an enhancement talent. That's what this should have been viewed as. Or any kind of mid-carder. He doesn't need that. He, he's elevated. He should be elevated up. And then what makes it more impactful later on in this tournament is when she does get involved and they have to start stealing wins. How long until Charlotte Flair kills Zelina Vega? I mean, because, you know, if we end up with King Andrade, they're going to put the queen gimmick on Zelina Vega. And the queen can't stand for that, especially when she's dating the king. So you're going to tell me the next year's mixed match challenge main event will be uh, Andrade and Sharshar versus Alistair Black and Zelina. There you go. God damn. That's awful, isn't it? <laughs> That's fucking terrible. That's fucking terrible. And it seems you so likely. Way, you, you know, the other way around doesn't sound that bad. Like, I could see, like, Black with, with Char Char and then putting Andrade and Zelina. But, but then, you know, I mean, how many people just expose what, what we've really got going on there? I mean, do you think that they do that on screen? That they put Charlotte and Andrade together as the king and queen? Because I could absolutely see them doing that. I, I can see them doing it. I absolutely can see them doing it. Uh, another thing I could see them doing is, is maybe Charlotte using a you know, flexible bit of that muscle. She is the queen already. Uh, if they dub Zelina the princess. Oh, my God. Oh, and then Carmella's going to be pissed. Um, if they would do that, what do you do with Zelina Vega? If you take her away from Andrade, what do you do with Zelina? Now, if you're talking about somebody potentially going back to NXT, uh, I'd love to see her go back there in inside of that that women's division and maybe some, um, you know, woman on woman settle some old some old business with Candice. That's good. I like that. I would actually really really like Zelina Vega inside of the NXT women's division because that girl can go. And she's incredible inside the ring. Or, you know, we've seen what she can do for individuals. But we see what she brings to the table and offers as a manager. Now, maybe she resurfaces in NXT and says, you know what? I started here. I found him. I'm looking for the next rep- representative and, and starts rebuilding there. On the other side, oh, I, no. I really think. Garza Jr. I could absolutely see uh, that pairing. Oh, uh, yeah. In either case, either if she's paired with someone else or she flies solo, I think there's there's a lot more upside right now inside a WWE. And again, I'm not knocking anyone's certain talent. I'm just talking about looking at an individual going forward. I think there's more upside with Zelina than especially if Andrade got paired with with Char Char. And and you got to be walking on eggshells. Your ass, you know, if something goes rocky in that relationship, and there's a split either way. Andrade, You're your gone. ass is out the door. Oh yeah, real quick and in a hurry. Also on this week's show, we saw Elias and Shane screw Kevin Owens out of the King of the Ring, and there ain't going to be no Kevin Owens 316. Rick, this thing with with Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens, and now we have the 24-7 champion Elias involved in it. I hate everything about this at this point. We totally should have went with the Mr. Wrestling thing. I think this is just one of those things. It's because they didn't go with our direction. And believe me, that would have been over the top. That would have been a smashing success. They haven't done it. So now we got to look at solutions. 
I think they're just confusing this entire thing too much right now. It just it seems so overdone, doesn't it? You're trying to get too much. You're trying to get too many people involved. They're they're entangling. You know, they're entwining into like this King of the Ring. You got things with Drew still going on. You got Elias back and forth between chasing this twenty four seven championship and, and trying to be there for Shane. We just need to let, let's let's cut some of the fat and just simplify this program between these two. So convoluted. The queen is coming for her crown. Rick, we saw Charlotte lay down the challenge to Bailey and Bailey accept and then push Charlotte over like a petulant child. Rick, where did we go wrong with Bailey? How did how did we get here? This is there is nothing likable about Bailey anymore. If you would have told me three years ago. That when they call Bailey up to the main roster, within three years, you're going to be begging for a Bailey heel turn. I would have called you insane. We should be printing money with Bailey, like the female John Cena. What in the hell happened? How did we fuck this up? Not even, not even that that we want a heel turn. I think we're past that phase. I think now we're into this this whole Bailey situation. Where do we even care at all? What do I mean, we if do? She just went away. If she just went away, I mean, outside of how weak this division already is due to injuries and, and you've got so many championships and people spread so thin right here, I mean, that's the only reason that you need Bailey right now is just that you have a warm body. And outside of that, do you absolutely care? I mean, I, I put her up there, rank her, you know, right up there with like a Naomi. Great that she's got a job and all that. And it, there was things that I once really, I, I thought very highly of her. I love her athleticism in Naomi, but it's to the point overall, I absolutely do not care. And I feel they're there with Bailey. And the biggest issue is she's walking around with one of your championships. It's just, and, and the, the thing that is so strange about this to me is they've actually booked Bailey pretty strong since WrestleMania. If you look at her win-loss record, she has the best win-loss record in the company for somebody not named Kofi Kingston at this point. Like People should be rallying behind Bailey. She's been holding on to this championship for a while now, and it's just the personality and what they have given her to work with is just awful. Now, I do wonder here, we got this interesting dynamic. This is the first time we see this between these two brands, right? We've got all four of the WWE horsewomen at the top of their divisions. Yeah. And we, we saw is, Sasha Banks on something... Raw. And Sasha and Becky right now feels like it could be the potential of a, a fairly decent show. I wouldn't say one of the top four, but a decent show. You could do that as a main event. People are into that program, and here we're just like, we're agreeing with Charlotte. Everything Charlotte is saying is absolutely true. You never want your heels telling that much truth and having the audience sitting there going, yeah, she's right. And it's, again, you know, not really understanding the narrative that we've got. Or or is this some sort of double turn eventually that we have going? But once Uh, again, Charlotte... There is something wrong with Charlotte and the way that Charlotte is talking now. Like, she, I, I don't, what happened to Charlotte? She can't cut a fucking good promo to save her life all of a sudden. It's all about, she's becoming too too corporate. 
Uh, they, they are wanting, you know, just outside of the TV product that we're seeing, when it comes to being one of those, those flag bearers for the company, they are pushing her in that direction. So you got to understand, she's probably getting coached outside of wrestling promos about how to just speak uh, in public and, and how to handle press and media and all that. And here's a, a, like a sports comparison here. You're playing baseball your whole life, right? You start playing golf, you, you fuck up your swing. So both of them are off. Neither one of them are that good. And, and now one hitting the other one is, it seems like it's completely thrown her out of whack. And, and I think, you know, she had some time off. She's been doing some different things here. A lot of it seems to change since she's really gone public with her, with her personal relationship. Yeah, I just don't get it, man. I, I just don't get it. Like Charlotte used to be a great promo, and now she just sounds like a freaking robot. The cadence is just awful. It, it seems like she's even lost. You know, she's like a little bit of a step behind inside the ring. You know, maybe just that overall commitment's not there. She, she's being pulled in too many different directions. No pun intended. Now is not the time to be losing focus. That's for sure. We got to see the King's Court. That was where we were supposed to see Ratchet Sasha Banks. She was going to come out. She was going to talk with Jerry the King Lawler. But first, we, we, we had this interruption. The lights start going off, and Jerry the King Lawler says, Oh, no, I've seen this before. I'm getting the hell out of here. And he goes up the ramp, and the fiend comes up behind the king. He puts the king down with the mandible claw. He's taken out another legend. And the crowd goes wild. Rick, we have a real problem here with Bray Wyatt. And the, you know what? The, the segment itself was well done. And it was probably one of the better things that they had done there. The but only complaint exactly I right, have, the only complaint I have was Lawler was standing on the ramp for far too long. Like it drug on for far too long to the point where Lawler looks stupid for just continuing to stand on the ramp. That yeah, was my only complaint bit, you know, about get, that segment. You know, try to get your ass into Gorilla. You know, get to the back where you can find some safety. Uh, okay, if we're going to nitpick there. But it's overall, well done. But that's, hey, that's, that's just peas, man, in comparison to the, the bigger the bigger issue is the reaction. The people are loving this. He, he's attacking tremendous legends, and people are enjoying this. And it's going to become a real problem as we build towards the two bigger money matches. I, Rick, I, I am absolutely convinced now this is leading to The Fiend versus Goldberg. And The Fiend is going to put down Goldberg on his way to WrestleMania, The Fiend versus The Undertaker. But people are into this fiend thing. We saw their merchandise went up 200% when they started selling these Bray masks. Hell, we're selling special signature boxes on WWE.com and they're selling out. People love the entrance music. Everybody wants one of the masks now. This is a heel act. They, they, they're pushing this guy like a baby face. They give us all this intriguing vignettes, the most interesting thing that we've seen on WWE television in probably five freaking years, and now they want us to boo him. There's a real problem. I think you really got it. You know, really what the thing there is, what is in, what compares to this on their programming for what we really want from professional wrestling. I mean, the next entertaining thing is the 24 seven championship. 
Yeah, and and that's not that's that's the bigger problem. That's not good. That's not good at all. Because how is Undertaker going to feel going into WrestleMania, and he's got sixty thousand people that are anxious to see the Fiend put him down? Like this is not a good dynamic whatsoever. We talked about it at the time with the Firefly Funhouse. Are they going to make Bray Wyatt a babyface because people are not going to boo this gimmick? And all they're doing is proving us right at this point. And how long until Vince McMahon is like, oh, goddamn people. And he just basically cuts its legs off. Well, and you hope it doesn't get there because, again, this is almost them hitting a reset. It, and not necessarily that they realize they had done it. They're, they're falling into this thing. I mean, this should have been Bray's spot. What was it? At, at 33, maybe, when they were in San Francisco? Yeah, I thirty one. that's right. 30, no, I think that was 31, yeah. Okay, it was San Francisco. I think it was 31. Yeah, it was the year after Daniel Bryan, the, the big you know, the big story in New Orleans, and then he won the Intercontinental Champion. But that was Bray Undertaker. And that should have been the time that Bray had taken that torch from the Undertaker. But, you know, we went right back. Undertaker had already been beaten at WrestleMania. He had to, yeah, I guess he had to bounce back and get that win. I mean, that should have been the passing of the torch to Bray Wyatt. And now we're here. All these leaders were in the same position with a new character, and they're looking at finally, finally giving him that honor. But how is it really going to be received here? I mean, it would have been such, it would have been so much more intense if you had people truly behind Undertaker, believing in him. But you know, as you just said, Jargo, at, at best, it's going to be a 50-50 crowd. So what do you do? How do you turn the fiend heel? I'm almost wondering at this point if you have to embrace it and you have to go the other direction and and go to the Undertaker and say we want we have to send you out as a, a, a terrible villain, almost like you came in. What a crazy dynamic, man! And and you're talking about people the fiend's going to put down along the way here. Uh, I hadn't given much speculation or thought towards. Goldberg, I don't know, you know, if Goldberg would want to be in that spot, uh, but we've heard rumblings that Kane's getting ready for a comeback, and you know he'll fit perfectly into you know one of those, you know, those rites of passage on the way to the Undertaker at WrestleMania. I, I just feel like even Booker T this week, right when Booker T was kind of talking about what was going on there, and he was on a Skype video, I was waiting for the Fiend to come up behind him. Like, how cool would that have been? I was almost glad that they didn't. That it might have been too overboard. I, I think I would have like popped in the moment, but I, I just wonder how I would feel about it afterwards. If okay, you know, now he's just we're I would, and not necessarily that I wouldn't like it. It's you know looking at what the naysayers would jump all over. Oh, we're going back to you know the supernatural stuff or whatever. But, I'm fine with supernatural stuff as long as you stick to it inside of the narrative. It has to exist inside the narrative. That's that's really the biggest well, thing. Well, I think you know it fits. It fits too with when you eventually get in with the fiend. Let me in. I mean, you can start posing questions like, "Wait a minute, is there more than one?" The fiend is. You know, are, are we having these? Are, are we having? Yeah, and you go to that. You know, well, yeah, but then it, probably the next mass murdering will get will be blamed on the, the motherfucker will be wearing a fiend a fiend mask. Oh, the sad part is that's probably true. Let's talk about Ratchet Sasha. Yeah, Sasha's back. Sasha's ratchet. Rick, I absolutely loved the Sasha Banks promo with Mitchell Cole. 
It was my favorite thing on the show this week. I love how she's all talking about how everybody wants to know all about my blue hair. That's what everybody's talking about. It's not the fact that she's kicking the shit out of Manny. Everybody wants to talk about Sasha's blue hair. Uh, but we have a real issue here, it, it kind of in the same respects as The Fiend. When we get the Natalia promo, Sasha goes back there. She beats the ever-loving shit out of Natalia. And then she says, you're welcome. And the fans cheer because we all want Natalia to just shut up. Well, again, you know, this is not really knowing knowing the target audience or just even knowing your audience is there. I think if you just would have went a different direction with Natalia, but we're going right back to what, what was a year ago. The pants of her father. You know, it, it's woe me, Natalia. I said over in the live discussion, you know, Facebook and Hot Me Media discussion group, I mean, thank God it was just her father, not one of her cats. I mean, could you imagine how heartbroken and devastated she'd be at that point? I mean, I get it. You know, we're always going to hold on to the passing of a loved one. That becomes something personal. And it's not something as, especially as a persona, as as you're representing yourself in professional wrestling, that you need to continue to to just beat that dog down. This only works if people like Natalia. Nobody likes Natalia. Like, we all respect Natalia. We all know that Natalia is a great hand in the ring, but we don't like her personally. We're not invested in her emotionally. And even those individuals that have got to see a side of her, what do we see like on Total Diva? She's, she's I mean, it's, it's, she's always an emotional wreck. There's always something that's totally wrong. It's one of those individuals, we all have them in our life. You know, it's just, you know, just shut up and get on with it. Work through it. And it's it's always, whoa, me, whoa, me, this and that. And it gets to a point you no longer care. And they did her no favors even putting her in this position. Everyone saw through what was going on. It was simply a publicity stunt in Canada for, you know, for SummerSlam. She didn't really do anything to earn that right. She was thrown in a, a piece of just garbage match where she was able to emerge and get an opportunity. Nobody was buying into that. They did her absolutely zero favors. And now having Sasha shut her up continues to do absolutely zero favors. Yeah. And, and now it feels like the match that we should be building to is Sasha and Natalia. They should have a match. Sasha beats Natalia and then moves on to Becky. But it seems like we're already building to Sasha versus Becky and Natalia's just kind of a little speed bump for Sasha Banks. We're not even going to make Sasha Banks beat Natty first. We're just going to go directly to the championship. Well, and again, this is going to be a backfire as they're looking to put some sympathy. They want to make sure, you know, they're, they're trying to get sympathy on Natalia but build up Becky as the big hero, the savior, you know, who's going to, you know, ride in. You know, since she's the man, I'll go ahead and make it that knight in shining armor sort of deal for, for Natalia, who I'm not even sure why we're supposed to believe that there's some ultimate tie between them. We've never seen that on air. I mean, why does she overly care? But if Becky, you know, Becky is this badass. Why does she overly care what the hell's going on with, with, Natalia, with Natalia at all? She should be worried about her own. Yep, I completely agree. Kofi's stupid. Randy Orton told us over and over and over, Kofi's stupid. This past week on Monday Night Raw, Kofi's stupidity got Xavier Woods injured. As we see Randy Orton and The Revival take out Big E and Xavier. Uh, Rick, I really like the pairing of Orton and The Revival. I really like those three guys together. Well, you talk about throwbacks. I mean, they represent 
uh, the classic style. Absolutely love these these guys together. And a couple of these instances, you know, Kofi did look stupid, or just the creative and how it presented Kofi looked stupid uh, all around here. I mean, this this was a win-win for the heels. And they're getting heat, and they're getting heat. Monday was good for Orton and the Revival. Tuesday, good for Kofi Kingston. Kofi responds for Xavier Woods, taking out Randy Orton. Not throwing pancakes, just 100% serious. I'm going to sneak attack you and whip your ass because that's what you've been doing to me, Kofi Kingston. I've been waiting to see this, Kofi, since WrestleMania. Well, I, I like it in a sense of, as a viewer, but if we're looking at this in a, in a narrative, we're talking about winners, it means that, you know, the Viper got to him. Everyone else has been trying to, and even, you know, fans and all that, and what they respond with is, you know, we are who we are. We're gonna keep. We're gonna continue doing what we what we did. It got us here. We're fun loving. We got the pancakes. They're not going anywhere. We're bootios. Well, now it got really real inside the inside the narrative, and Randy's getting to him. Kind of want to see Randy Orton take this championship going into Fox. How about you? Uh, we we talked about it for a few weeks. Uh, I think, I think it's a certainty that we're going to get that direction. I don't think that removes Kofi from the picture. Uh, but yeah, if there's anyone that can take that atomic heat and actually turn it into you know something incredible, it's going to be Randy Orton. To close things out this week, Rick, we've got the Scooby Doo Who Done It, Who's Trying to Murder Roman Reigns, and Rick, I I have this problem. Regardless of how everything played out Tuesday with Buddy Murphy and Daniel Bryan and the Eric Rowan lookalike. My problem here is you tried to kill me, so I want a wrestling match to prove that I can beat you up. Like this, oh, isn't that that's how that's how things were solved in the old west? Yeah, this is why you can't try to run people over with cars and on pro wrestling shows. This is why guns don't exist in pro wrestling narratives unless it's Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. You know, like you can't try to murder somebody and then have it lead to a wrestling match. Well, I think, you know, what they really missed the vote here is it should have taken it should have taken a little longer to beat the truth out of Murphy. I mean, that would have given us, you know, the backstage butt kicking. Uh, and then and then finally, like, OK, I've got a sanction. We're going inside the ring and this match is not going to end until you tell me. You know, who did it? Yeah, I the, and then and then you get something. The only person that's really benefited from this entire thing, I feel like, is Buddy Murphy. Buddy Murphy goes out. He has that good match with Roman Reigns. He goes out this week. He has a good match with Daniel Bryan. But I feel like Buddy Murphy is going to be the new Mustafa Ali. Like, okay, cool. We all know how good Buddy Murphy is now. Now, why haven't we seen Buddy Murphy in like six weeks? Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I mean, because there's going to be a lot of that's going to unfold here. I guess the next move, you know, whoever, you know, the next suspect is, you know, where does that leave Buddy Murphy? I guess if you see the picture, I, I know you don't get overly involved in these, neither do I, but you see the picture that, that him and uh, Bliss might be kicking it again? Yeah, I did see that. Good for him. Well, I, you know, I could see. I, I know outside of everything, but it was to play this into the storyline. If I got a lot of Bliss on my mind, I might be confused about what I saw, too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an absolutely a valid point. What did you think of this reveal with the Eric Rowan lookalike? See, I was, I was thinking we were going to get something completely different with it. And it, 
is is Brian Lee still alive? I mean, does anyone know where he's at? Are we going back to the fake the, the fake Undertaker? I think he's still working as the fake Undertaker. Watch watch out for the fiend, dude. <laughs> yeah, not real impressed with the Rowan look like it. The whole thing felt way more Scooby Doo than I thought it should have. You know, just it just feels corny to me. Have you ever seen the, the Scooby Doo in the uh, WrestleMania mystery? Uh, no, skip that movie. Uh, it's actually uh, it was, it's actually been better than probably the past two years of Raw. Absolutely. So if you want some good WWE programming, uh, go check that out. I'm sure it's available on the network. I, I, I guess I forgot. We also have new Raw Tag Team Champions. We saw Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman. It was weaved all throughout the show. It seems as though Braun is coming for the Universal Championship. So the only solution is let's put two random singles together and have them beat who is probably recognized as one of the top five tag teams in the world to win the Raw Tag Team Championships. Well, I mean, that's that's uh, Vince 101. I mean, that's his classic move. We've, we've heard so many people that have worked for him talk about this thing. If, if it's Pritchard, if it's Mr. Russo, uh, if it's Cornette, this is something that he is all about. This is, you know, one of the things that he's been against tag team wrestling is the traditional tag teams. He'd rather see, let me take two great single stars, preferably two of them are going to be challenging for my top singles prize, put them together as a tag team, put the titles on them, let them, you know, let that little dynamic play out until it blows up, and then we move forward with our program. It's, I, didn't, I wasn't surprised at all by this thing. How are we going to do this? Is this going to be a face-face matchup, or is this going to be Braun Strowman turning heel? I think eventually you have to have Strowman turn heel, right? I mean, you can't have him playing down as the baby. And I think you just, you're going to grow angry. You're going to grow some tension between these two where it's a little confusing at times, but doesn't this have to be another Braun turn, which I, I guess we're talking about records before, you know, how long until Miz chases, you know, catches Jericho, how long until Braun catches Big Show? You know, it's kind of funny that you bring Big Show up because over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've been listening to a lot of What Happened When with Tony Schiavone. And so I've been going back and watching a bunch of old Nitros on the network. Man, seeing a young giant versus Hulk Hogan in 1996, it's crazy to think the path and the career that the Big Show had. Another shout out here to Horsley then on the show. You know, Big Show was was almost going to be a Detroit Lion. So he could have had him uh, playing, you know, playing up there under the, the blue and the silver. Uh, instead, Big Show went on to all the fame that he had in professional wrestling. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM podcast network online hittingthemarks.com or just search Hitting the Marks on your favorite podcast listening device. Be sure that you catch Huckleberry and I this Monday over in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. We'll have the latest from the Super J Cup. Looking forward to talking about that as well as this week's ROH shows. Oh yeah, and we have to preview all out before next weekend gets here because I assume that we'll probably just do an instant reaction for next week's show. 
Be sure that you visit our friends over at TheGorillaPosition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Visit our friend Jamie. Happy belated birthday, good sir, over at TheLastWordOnProWrestling.com to keep up with all the insane news that's going to be going on this week as we head towards StarCast. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargoRBV. How do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, as always, you can keep up with uh, keep up with me, Rick Pickery, across all social media platforms at the Real RBV. And I know uh, we're going to be gearing up a lot of things, exciting things to be talking about inside the locker room coming up this Monday and throughout next week. So I'm expecting we'll probably have some bonus, uh, some bonus role, correct? I mean, with everything going on, all the news that's happening. So uh, we're going to keep up with all that gearing up. This is. Uh, this is almost kind of like a like a Wrestle Kingdom G1 WrestleMania time of year as we hit all out and as we head towards the, the Wednesday Night Wars. Going to be a big week with StarCast and All Out coming up next week. That's going to wrap it up for this week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. You're back on. Bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy.